Let's take a moment and pray together to get ready to hear from the scriptures today. Lord Jesus, it is true, otherwise we wouldn't have been singing it, that comfort and favor and praise and recognition and power and the joy of being in the right um, become false gods that appeal so much to our hearts. What joy it is to know that you are more glorious and beautiful than any of these things and all of them put together and that we can come before you now and and you can restore us to our right minds and you can show us things about yourself that call us back to our first and true love. Some of us are here because we are Christians. We have named you as our first love and we need to return to that. Some of us are here today not knowing if, if you are our first love or not. But to all of us, would you show us yourself? Amen. So today we're uh, continuing our look at uh, some of the minor prophets, the shorter prophetic books in the Old Testament. We've come to the book of Joel today. And today, if you want to understand the book of Joel, you have to start in the city of Athens, not Athens, Greece, Athens, Georgia. Um, took Abby back to UGA a few days ago, dropping her off. And, and as I was, the, the engine in my truck started skipping, you know, that kind of this is not good moment. And the little check engine light comes on. And it's not good, it's bad. Something is not right. Something's not working right. You feel that, that something's just off. And you, you know it's bad. Um, it could get worse, right? You could keep driving anyway and uh, get back out on, on a big highway and start going 65, 70, 75, 80 to try to keep up with all the other cars that are headed back toward Atlanta. And and you could wind up stranded on the side of the road as the engine just decides to go out and you have to be towed and get it repaired. So it's bad when it's skipping and the engine light comes on, but it's worse. But there could be a worst. You could drive it so hard after the check engine light comes on that the engine completely locks up and is gone and there's no point getting it towed anywhere but the junkyard because nothing can be done, it is too late. The book of Joel is the check engine light of the Old Testament. The book of Joel is, is where God reaches in and says to us, well, here's, here's what he says to us through the book of Joel, the day of the Lord is coming. Surrender your heart to God's radical love so that when that day comes, you will experience fullness and not loss. When the check engine light comes on, it's not there just to give you a bad day. It's there to keep something bad from becoming worse. It's there to keep the worst from becoming worst. It's there to wake you up so that you will find a repair shop. And then everything can be fixed and it's handed back to you kind of like new when everything is put right again. It's not good to ignore it when that light comes on. So the book of Joel works like that check engine light. It's calling us to say, hey, 
Wake up before, before the worst possible day comes. Embrace God's love. Now, Joel starts with this kind of bad, worse, worst sort of logic. Chapter 1 is about a, an invasion of the area around Jerusalem with a plague of locusts. Think giant grasshoppers that eat everything in sight. So there's famine. There's nothing to eat. There's nothing to drink in a desert land where mostly what you drink is wine and it's the fruit of vines and things that have to grow and nothing can grow because the locusts are destroying it. And Joel is saying, hey, this locust plague is a reminder that before it's too late, we should surrender our hearts to God's love because this is just a foretaste of something even worse that could come. God has told us in His Word, if you wanted to see this, uh, read Deuteronomy chapter 28 sometime, that, that when things go wrong in the land, it's just, a, it's just a warning that something worse could be coming. It could be an invasion of other armies that would root us up out of the land that God has given us if we're Old Testament Israel. And so the, the locusts are bad, but an army is worse. And so we're going to read from Joel 2 this morning, and you're going to hear the locusts described as though they are an army, as that reminder of this is the bad day, but something worse could be coming. And then you're going to hear, Joel is going to shift us to, hey, the locusts are receding into the background, and now we're thinking about another day that's coming, a day of of ultimate disaster and loss for those whose hearts are far from God. The day of the Lord would be that day of loss. And so Joel is like blinking as bright as he can, saying, it doesn't have to be that way. That day, the day of the Lord, could be a day of fullness and joy and restoration and repair when things are put right. If your heart is captivated by God's love, if not, that day will lead to loss. So whenever disaster comes, Joel would say to us, let it call us back to God's radical love. Keep your ears open for reminders of that love as Tom reads for us from Joel chapter 2. Today's scripture is from Joel chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was of old, nor ever will be in ages to come. Before them, fire devours. Behind them, a flame blazes. Before them, the land is like the Garden of Eden. Behind them, a desert waste. Nothing escapes them. They have the appearance of horses. They gallop along like cavalry, with a noise like that of chariots that leap over the mountaintops into a crackling fire, consuming stumble, like a mighty army drawn up for battle. At the sight of them, nations are in anguish. Every face turns pale. 
They charge like warriors. They scale walls like soldiers. They all march in line, not swerving from their course. They do not jostle each other. Each marches straight ahead. They plunge through defenses without breaking ranks. They rush upon the city. They run along the wall. They climb into the houses like thieves entering through windows. Before them, the earth shakes. The sky trembles. The sun and moon are darkened. And the stars no longer shine. The Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number, and mighty are those who obey his command. The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. This is the word of the Lord. So that's the message of the book of Joel. The day of the Lord is coming. Surrender your heart to this radical love. One who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. One who relents from sending calamity. Surrender your heart to that God and that love so that when that day comes, you can experience fullness rather than loss. Really? Really? I mean, there's part of our hearts that says, do I really want to go any further with this? I mean, because this, that sentence, that first sentence is about the day of the Lord, and, and it sounds bad. It sounds a bit scary. Uh, it also sounds like um, everybody I've ever known who talks much about the day of the Lord is a pretty extreme kind of person. And, and really what I'm hoping is that we're going to hear, nah. But here's the thing. You may be wondering, do I really want to know more about this? You already know about it. Okay? You, you already live in a world where, where there are days of disaster and there are days of reversal. There, there, there are days when awful things Happen, And then there are days when wonderful, glorious things happen to reverse the awful things. You live in a world like that. And in that kind of world, you would love to be able to warn people so that they don't experience the disaster. You would love to be able to tell people who are in the middle of disaster that a day of reversal is coming. So you already know about the day of the Lord, even if you don't know you know about it. And if you know anything about Jesus and his crucifixion and resurrection, you already know about the day of the Lord, even if you don't know that you know it. We'll see how that is a little bit later, but let's, let's start here. Let's start with defining the day of the Lord. You can't deal with the book of Joel 
without understanding what this phrase means. It's a phrase that pops up in lots of other books of the Old Testament prophets, and the concept shows up all over the New Testament, even if this particular phrase doesn't occur much there. So we'll start with a definition. The day of the Lord is the day when God comes into His good world to complete His work of restoring it. The day of the Lord is the day when God comes behind the locusts and makes the land like the Garden of Eden again. The day of the Lord is when the Lord comes, is when the Lord himself comes into the world that he has made in order to say, I now want to finish the work of repair that I began in the Garden of Eden, promising that a child would be born who would reverse the curse, work that I began by bringing my people out of slavery in Egypt, planting them in this land, work that I began through the sending of Jesus. I'm, I'm coming into the world to finish what I started. That's the day of the Lord. It's a day that brings fullness for people whose hearts are captivated by His love. It's a day that brings loss for people who are committed to remaining independent of that love. This is the way the Scriptures speak of that day. It's a great day of rejoicing and glory and goodness for people who who want to be in a world put right by God and His love. But for anybody who says, you know what? God, we don't need you. We kind of got this. We can get by just fine without you. Thanks for the offer, but we got it. It's a day of loss. For a heart that says, you know what, God, we don't want you. We want the stuff you offer, but without the inconvenience of having to actually relate to you. Can we just have your good stuff? We want to live in that kind of world, full of that kind of goodness. We just don't want you to be part of it. That kind of heart that says, I I want to live independent of God and His love. The day when He comes to perfect that love is the day when you get what you want. You, you get to be separated from that love. It's the day of loss. It's the day of the Lord. It's the day when God comes into His world to complete the work of restoration that He has started. Let's talk about how the day of the Lord connects to other days. Because... As you read the Scriptures, you find out God is saying to us that any day can become a sign of the day of the Lord. So, when locusts come and eat up all the crops around Jerusalem, that's not the same as God coming into the world to finish His work. But when the locusts came in Joel's day and ate up all the crops and there were no more offerings to pour out of wine in the temple by the priests because 
There are no more vines. There's no wine to be had. There were no more offerings of grain and, and bread baked to put on the altar and burn before God in His worship in the temple as the priests were supposed to do because, because there was no more crop in the field to make the bread from. When, when such disaster had come into the land that, that even a sense of being able to worship God and engage with Him the way we want, we're cut off from that. That day is not God coming into the world for final completion of His work, but that day becomes a day that says, get ready for the other day. Any day of disaster can become a sign that the day of the Lord is coming one day. Anytime that check engine light goes on, it's a reminder that your car ain't going to run forever, right? Its days are numbered. That's a little reminder. Don't, don't pin all your hopes to this thing because one day it's going to be too late to fix it anymore. A, any day of disaster can be a sign reminding us that the day of the Lord is coming, and it could be a day of loss if we continue to to try to remain independent of God and His love. Now, any good day, any day of reversal, when all the bad stuff gets put right again, that day can be a sign of the coming of the day of the Lord too. So while Joel is talking about bad days because locusts and armies, there are plenty of Scripture passages that talk about the good things that come when, when God returns. <laughs> The day of the Lord is a day of great rejoicing and blessing and life for those whose hearts are captivated by His love. And we get a little foretaste of that in, in chapter 2, verse 14. Who knows? He may turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing. Grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. The crops are growing again when God comes. Good things. For those whose hearts are captured by His love. And so, a good day can be a sign of the coming of the day of the Lord. If you read the rest of Joel, you, you get more descriptions of the goodness that comes when the Lord comes into His world. Now, I want to be really clear here. A day of disaster can serve as a wake-up call, but that's not the same as saying every day of disaster is something God Himself did because He is displeased with someone. Okay, I'm not saying that. We're not saying if there's no food in your pantry, if you lost your job, if your marriage is struggling... That's God. He's judging you. He's condemning you. He's had it with you. He's done with you. No, we're not saying that. That day of disaster can still be a wake-up call without us having to conclude that God did this because He's angry at you. Try it on the other way real quick. 
If your marriage is okay, does that mean God's perfectly pleased with you? If you didn't lose your job yesterday, does that mean God's given a thumbs up to everything about your life and heart? If there's food in the pantry tonight, does that mean He's perfectly okay with you? No. But those good things ought to be reminders to you that there's going to come a day when you need to be in line with His love and, and, and enjoy even more fullness than those good things would represent. So any day can become a sign the day of the Lord. So everything that goes wrong is a reminder. Oh God, we want you to come and make it right. And when you do, I want to greet you as one whose heart has been captivated by your love. And every good thing that happens in life is a reminder that one day, one day, all will be goodness and fullness. And we want to recognize God and His love as the source of all of it when that day comes. And that leads us to another thought this morning. Let's talk about the day of the Lord and Jesus. Is that okay to do even though this is Joel and it's an Old Testament book? Well, the, the thing is, if you read the rest of Joel chapter 2, you read about God promising a day when He would pour out His Spirit on all of His people. And the Christian church said, you know what? That happened because of Jesus. That happened already. Everything in the book of Joel is coming true because of Jesus. So that day of the Lord we've been waiting for, when Jesus comes back, that's when the day of the Lord will come to every person. So the Old Testament prophets talked about the coming of the Lord. And we're no more specific than that. And the New Testament says, yeah, the coming of the Lord. When God comes into His world to perfect and complete the work of restoration that He's begun, that will happen when Jesus comes again. And the day of the Lord will come to every person. But here's the thing. The day of the Lord has already come to one person. This is the radical claim of the New Testament. And um, what, what really took some careful thinking on the part of people who knew the Old Testament because every time you read about the day of the Lord in the Old Testament, it, it seems like one, one great day God is going to come to, to sort of put the world in its final state of repair and joy and goodness. And it's going to be a great, great day of reversal and fullness for anybody who embraces His love. And a a great day of disaster and loss for people who continue to say, no thanks, we got this. But it was supposed to come to everyone at once. 
And then suddenly comes Jesus. And suddenly we, we hear this story of, wait a minute, that great day is still in the future, but that day has already come to one person. The day of disaster has already fallen on one person. The day of reversal has already come to one person. The day when Jesus was crucified was the day that the locusts ate everything. It was the day when the armies invaded. It was the day when the greatest possible disaster fell on one person. It was the day when all of God's anger at those who would say to him, we don't need you, we don't want you, we've got this, your love sounds eh, but we can do better. The day of the Lord already came to Jesus. That was the ultimate day of disaster and loss. You hear Jesus saying, Father, take this cup from me. If there's any way that I could not drink this cup, what's he talking about, a cup? Well, the Old Testament prophets talk about a cup full of the wine of the wrath of God. Jesus knows as he's going to his crucifixion that he is going to the day of the Lord, a day of disaster. It is great and terrible. Who can endure it? And so Jesus says, I don't want to have to endure it. Father, is there a way forward without me having to go there? But whatever you want, I will do it. Not my will, but yours be done. That's not the end of the story. But man, what radical love, right? We read here in Joel that that God is gracious and compassionate, that He is slow to anger and abounding in love. He abounds so much in love that He would come into our world and He would experience this great day of disaster when He had done nothing to deserve it so that we would never have to experience it ourselves. That's a heart full of love. That is a heart full of grace and compassion. It's not the end of the story. When Jesus was resurrected, that was the coming of the day of the Lord on one person. There's going to be another day when Jesus comes again and the day of the Lord will come to every person. But already in the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, the day of the Lord has come. God has come into our world. And the day of great disaster has fallen and it fell on Jesus. And the day of great reversal, when everything is put right again, has fallen and has fallen on Jesus. And He is resurrected and He's restored to life. And it's a life better than what He had before because the life He had before could be ended in death. And the life he has now is one of resurrection glory, and you can't kill him anymore. He's so full of life that you can't take it away from him. The day of reversal and fullness has already come, and it's come 
to Jesus. And what radical love that Jesus would stand and say to people who have done nothing to deserve it, I will share this fullness and joy with you. It's the same logic as Joel's using. Because Joel says, the warning light is on, the engine's failing, you better get ready. You better return to God. Return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. And I'll show you my grace and compassion and love. But Joel says that to people who haven't yet begun to weep and mourn. To people who haven't begun the process of returning to God, the promise of all the goodness is already extended. They've done nothing to deserve it, and already the promise is theirs. And Jesus just advances that and fulfills it and says, I want to come and experience the day of disaster so that you who deserve it don't have to experience it. And I want to come and experience the day of resurrection joy and glory and fullness so that you who have done nothing to deserve it can still share it anyway. That's a heart overflowing with love and compassion and grace and kindness. It's the same God that Joel is speaking to us about. The story is a little more complex. It's now this two-stage story in which the day of the Lord falls on one person before it comes to everyone else. When Jesus comes the first time, the day of the Lord comes to him through his death and resurrection. When he comes again, the day of the Lord will come to every person. And so, the day of the Lord is coming. That's not a fearful thing. Surrender your heart to God's radical love now, and the coming of the day of the Lord means fullness, not loss. That's the message of Jesus through the book of Joel. It's the message of God through the book of Joel. It's the message of all the prophets when they speak of the day of the Lord. It's coming. Surrender your heart to God's radical love, and it will be a day for you forever of fullness rather than loss. Truvy died, but it's not as sad as you think. Truvy is a car. Truvy is Abby's car. Abby's our 19-year-old. And uh, she's a freshman in college, so we thought it best for this year that she leave her car here and um, have to get to know other people if she wants to ride somewhere. Well, so I was driving Truvy. Every once in a while, Truvy needs some love, right? And so she doesn't need to sit in the driveway all the time. And I'm driving Truvy a couple weeks ago, and the alternator starts to go out. Now, if you know what that means, you know it's this kind of limping process where the electrical systems of the car begin to die one by one. Radio goes out. Oh, that's not good. Uh, all the gauges, the needles drop. Everything goes out. That's real bad. I got this. I got this. I'm only a couple miles away from in town. I think I can make it to the church parking lot and call the tow truck from there. If that light at the top of the hill 
at North Druid Hills and La Vista stays green, I got this. Well, did that light stay green? Oh, heck no. It turned red, and I'm like, I don't got this. It is going to die right here sitting in the middle of 845 Tuesday morning traffic. And it did. And it died. And it was dead. So dead you can't even turn the, the hazard light on to let everybody know something's wrong. And everybody around is happy and understanding. Because after all, it's Atlanta and it's rush hour. And I'm only sitting in the middle of the intersection. People weren't happy or understanding. Um, I was, can I just brag about myself for a minute? I was kind of average grumbly and complainy at this moment. I wasn't fuming, flying off the handle like, ah, worst day ever, a stupid car, neighbor sold it to me, ah, I want to string him up. I was just kind of having the average sort of moment of grumbling and complaining and self-pity, right? Just kind of average, bad, stuck in Atlanta rush hour traffic with a completely dead car moment. But it was a moment of loss, not fullness, right? People started to stop. I was on the way to a meeting here at the church. Thankfully, a whole lot of other people were on the way to the same meeting. And they started to lean out the windows and go, is everything okay? And I'm like, no. (laughs) So Dave Sawchuck stops. He turns around. Lanny Nixon stops. He turns around, comes. Strangers start to stop. And we're able, by God's mercy, everything's locked up. Steering wheel won't even turn. But there was enough angle in the steering wheel to let it roll backward down the hill out of traffic into a turn lane where people were only minorly (laughs) upset as opposed to majorly. And Lanny looks at me and he says, what a good thing this happened to you. you talking about man come on this is a day of loss not fullness what are you talking about let me finish my sentence right lanny says what a good thing this happened to you and not while abby was driving oh holy smokes i never thought about that what a good thing that this day of disaster fell on me and not on her. That was a good thing. I had missed it. Lanny saw it. He helped me to see it. What a good thing. What radical love it would take if I had a heart like that, that immediately saw that it would be a better thing for the day of disaster to fall on me than on someone I love. It would be a good thing if I could go through all the hassle standing with the car, explaining to grumpy people, reassuring the policeman, calling the tow truck, waiting for the tow truck, paying for the tow truck, paying the repair bill, finding out that not only is the alternator bad, so is the radiator, so while we're in here, we might as well replace it, right? Triple the bill. Pay the bill and be able to hand the thing back to Abby and say, it's all fixed now. And I want you to have it and pay none of the cost. What a good thing if I had a heart shaped by that kind of radical love. That's the story of Jesus. 
who says, I would rather the day of disaster fall on me than on the children I love. I would rather pay the whole price of putting everything right and then one day hand it all back to them so that they could enjoy it and share it with me. Will you let that kind of love shape your heart, grip your heart, captivate you? If you're a Christian today and your heart has been captivated by that love, let it be captivated again. If you're here today and you're like, I have never, never known that kind of love. I never knew that's what Jesus was offering me. Let your heart be captivated today for the first time. The day of the Lord is coming. It doesn't have to be a day of loss. It can be a day to meet the one whose radical love said, I will let the day of disaster fall on me rather than you. What a good day for our hearts to be captivated by that kind of love.